Katie. I'm Erica. And this, and this is, is Book Talk. Hi, Erica. Hi, Katie. Welcome to Book Talk, your weekly podcast book club. Normally, we read a section of a book and chat about it on Sunday nights, but when we find a book that we both love or one of us loves and one of us hates, we do a special episode. So today, we are bringing you a special episode on one of Erica's favorite books of the year, My Year of Rest and Relaxation by Otessa Moshweg? Moshweg, I think. Otessa Moshweg. You're probably right. You would know if anyone was going to. <laughs> and we can't wait to get started to talk about this today. <laughs> and Erica, would you like to give us a quick summary or overview of this book for those who have not read it yet? Yes. So I will give a quick spoiler-free summary. And we're also going to split this episode. So in the first half, we'll just talk about the general themes of this book without trying, without giving away too much of the plot or what happens. And then we'll have a break and then we'll talk specifically about some of the plot points that stuck out to us. But this is definitely a character-driven book more than it is a plot-driven book. My Year of Rest and Relaxation follows an unnamed narrator as she has a half-genius, half-harebrained strategy of sleeping uh, with the use of pharmaceuticals aided by the most unhinged psychiatrist to ever grace the pages of a fiction book, I believe. And she feels that at the end of this year, she will emerge a fresh new baby born to the world. And this book follows that year in her life as she keeps increasing her medications and trying to beat the world away and sleep for as long as possible. Let's start with our overall feelings. Just in general, how did you feel about this book? In general, I hated the first section of this book. I think the book was fine. I can understand why people really like reading Otessa's work. I think she's incredibly talented, and I really liked a lot of what she did and the way that she set scenes and told stories throughout this book. But I think my overall review of it is that in the beginning, I hated our narrator a lot, and I want to dig into that deeper because I think you're supposed to. Um, I just am not sure that that's for me. I think the middle part of it, in my opinion, was kind of boring. Like you're, I feel like we were doing a lot of like kind of monotony, a lot of listing off of these drugs. This narrator was annoying me. But I think by the end, I really liked the ending. I thought the ending was beautiful. It was interesting to see her kind of learn to appreciate her life, come back to herself. I enjoyed the end. I thought it was funny, darkly funny for sure. Things were happening. The plot was coming together. Um, so I liked that part, but I think the middle for me just felt too surface level and boring for me to give it a five out of five. Um, but I will say I went into this thinking I would hate it. And the first couple of chapters, I kept texting Erica being like, please tell me what the hell made you love this book and I think by the end I at least understand it and why people like to read what she has written this as Katie has alluded to is one of my favorite books that I've read and so the New Yorker has talked about Otessa and they described Otessa as the most interesting contemporary American writer on the subject of being alive when being alive feels terrible I loved that quote, actually, though. When you put that in there, I was like, that's it. I do think that that describes Otessa's writing and what she's trying to do here. 
I do think reading reviews about that and reading that review specifically does make me think differently about her writing. She is so good at examining a specific character, which is a very unlikable and disgusting female protagonist who exists entirely on her own. This is none of her books are love stories. Our character is not lusting after a man, intersecting with a man, engaging with the male gaze. It's just like fully a woman in a very unlikable, unlovable, and unattractive existence. And I resonate with that. And I think so many women resonate with that because like we know we're all disgusting. <laughs> I just I this is our first point of disagreement. I just it's not that I don't think I'm disgusting. I just disagree with like right like um I want to know more about go well, finish your review and then I'll ask you my questions about how you resonate with that. So I've read I've read three books by Otessa. I actually just bought her other two books. The three books that I've read are My Yes, My Year of Rest and Relaxation, Death in Her Hands, and Eileen. The other thing that Otessa does that's really interesting is these books are not similar in terms of it's not the same story being told over and over again. I think after you read My Year of Rest and Relaxation, you get the sense that like maybe Otessa is like an arty girl, a scenester girl who hangs out in like Brooklyn and sort of like wrote this book about her frustrations with her life. And that's just not true. That's not who she is. And Eileen is like a completely different story of this person from a no-name town with an alcoholic father struggling with dealing with him and dealing with the meaningless of her life, the meaninglessness of her life. And then Death in Her Hands is about like an old lady who's a completely secluded. So she's so talented at drawing out these different angles on women. I just loved my year of rest and relaxation primarily because it was darkly funny the plot was completely original it's such a great as soon as you hear about the plot you're like I have to know what happens <laughs> I do feel like the and, plot is deeply original that part yes. is cool it's creative I think for me like Otessa's talent is never in question here when I'm reading her writing like this this person is incredibly talented her even just like being able to understand a portion of her brain through these characters and through this writing, like she is such a, I don't even know if a deep thinker is a dumb thing to say about somebody, but that's how I feel when I read her writing. I'm like, there's so much more to her. I can already tell if she can create this world and this person and all these thoughts within a character she's building. Like who even is Otessa? I want to know. So throughout all her book and my dislike of this book, I do think that no matter what we can say, like Otessa is a, up and coming an incredible voice in contemporary fiction. So that I would like to just say separately before I semi shit talk the book. <laughs> the book's message also is something for me that I deeply resonate with, which is our main character is in the art world. So she's in this specific world that's so obsessed with like meaning and voice and having something to say. And yet Ji Ping, I think is the art artist's name. Is it Ping Ji? Ping Ji. Yeah. Ping Ji. Sorry, if you listen to the podcast, you know I'm fucking horrible with names. But Ping Ji <laughs> is like a Jeff Koons type who makes this just like absolutely absurdist and like stupid artwork that everybody is obsessed with. And I think she has gotten to this place where she craves meaning so much and yet is faced with the reality that there is no meaning. And then everybody around her is like mocking that sense of meaninglessness. And that is a theme that 
I think a lot of the girlies on TikTok, myself included, really resonate with, which is this idea that you desperately really want meaning. And at a certain point, you realize like meaning is not there. (laughs) And that is like the depression she's going through. I did enjoy that section, especially when she's comparing kind of the art to the stock market. I don't know why that part sticks out to me, but just the comparison of these these art worlds to the stock market worlds, like it's all based on this, these opinions of people, the speculation, this like what inspires people to feel something and that affects all of these, this like domino effect on all of these things. And on art, it's like what inspires you, this jealousy that, well, they have something that I don't have and that gives something meaning or that creates value in something or we're just making this shit up. <laughs> and I feel like I did think that part was really like insightful. I want to know, sorry, I have to go back to this main character before we get away from her. I want to know from your point of view, because I truly don't understand this. Like for me and people read for different reasons. And I, I do appreciate these thought trains she's going on throughout it, but I want to know what the point So, a two part question, what the point of an unlikable, disgusting narrator is except for to be like, yeah, we're all human and disgusting, which like we all know because we're all humans and we exist. So what's the point of that character? And also what is the difference between a book that has an unlikable, for you, a book that has an unlikable narrator, like this book, this unnamed person in my year of rest and relaxation, compared to Milk Fed, when you were like, who is this book for? And she's also, and that story is also unlikable and kind of disgusting. I think our narrator actually is kind of likable because she's hilarious. <laughs> I don't think she's funny. I think she's mean. She's mean, but she is also funny. She's like the bitchy mean girl who is like also so cool that you're like, "Mm, but can I still sit with you? But I want you to be mean to other people and not me. That's like Reva. Reva is like, but you're my best friend, even though you treat me horribly. I'm like still like want to be in your life. I think I don't think any of those things make her (laughs) likable. I think they make her like maybe popular. I think she she wants to be a good person, but she doesn't know how. I like she's not an evil person she's just lost and she doesn't know how to deal with the death of her parents the trauma she's experienced and I think too she is a great example of someone who's like so privileged but also very damaged and a lot of is like open about her privilege and how it's almost made it worse like she feels she's so beautiful which she says all the time she's beautiful she's like a size two but it's almost worse because she can see the way that people are treating her in the absence of like having any talent being an artist herself like she's just surrounded by people being nice to her because she's pretty and it's driving her insane and no one even like her mom holds up these values to her about like just like holding this facade on the outside and so she's in the backstage inside that facade basically dying inside I think that's something that like people resonate with if it's an unlikable narrator they still have to be going through a journey that you want them to go on and we can talk about sort of the end and how this journey goes for her but I think we are sort of rooting for her but if I had to say why people like unlikable narrators it's because Wait, can we pause there if we get on to the second part yeah I get that. I just feel like I wasn't, maybe this is just me. Maybe it's something wrong with me reading these books. So maybe it is just that. I feel like I don't know if I was rooting for her. I was kind of like, this chick has, I 
I think there's like two kind of things going on in my head. One of them is like this chick has so much privilege that so many people don't have. She has access to get help. She may not know how to deal with all the things that are going wrong with her, but she's has picked a way to deal with it that is possibly unsafe at one on one hand and also like irresponsible. But she obviously is rich enough to do this and beautiful because she's independently wealthy and able to just like sleep for a year. So sometimes it felt tone deaf to me. But on the other hand, I feel like even people who seem to have it all, who are beautiful and rich and et cetera, struggle and it doesn't make it easier that you're beautiful or rich when you're struggling because you're still dealing with it but I think it, she just frustrates me I want her to be okay but I also want her to stop being such a bitch and also like get the help that she needs in a way that's maybe actually going to help her so I guess in the end I'm obviously rooting for everyone to figure their shit out and be okay but I don't think I was ever I ever liked her enough to be like I'm rooting for you because she was truly not nice to like anyone around her. So I don't think she's evil, but I'm trying to find the good inside. I know she was going through a lot, but I feel like at the end of the day, she was like legit mean to people. I don't know. So those are the two things. Maybe they are both true. I'm going to also address a second point of the second question that you asked as a way to answer what you're saying now, which is comparing this to milk fed. I found milk fed to be really, difficult to read because of the eating disorder stuff and I think if I was someone who struggled more with depression I might not be able to read this book and I did hear like people on Goodreads say the same thing like if you're somebody who has that um, tendency and that's something that you personally struggle with then this book can be really challenging because it's like you're like yeah I know that's that's what depression looks like and I think that's really what that's really the character in this book it's not her it's this pretty severe depression and trauma that she has that she's not able to deal with and that's I think that's ultimately why I like this book better than the other one I also think for milk fed like the development of that character wasn't the same as the development of our unnamed narrator in this book into the privileged point I think too there's a lot of good things obviously you get a lot of advantages by being privileged but that doesn't give you purpose. It's not a it's not a fulfilling thing to have privilege. And it can also backfire because you have so much. You accumulate maybe wealth, maybe you accumulate status, whatever. But it doesn't ultimately give you, it doesn't fill that hole within you. And this is a person who has like a gaping hole within her and like no healthy relationships and no outlet for all the feelings that she's feeling. And so she's trying to just separate herself from it. So I think it's not so much an unlikable character as it is like a very unwell person for many reasons. And I get that the reasons are not sympathetic. We don't have to sympathize for her, but because of her privilege, like, oh, it must suck to be a size two. And also she says all the terrible things to Riva, like the best thing that's ever happening to you is I'm giving you all my clothes. (laughs) And I mean, yeah, she's not nice to Reva. And I think that's like kind of it. Um, so oh, can I read this one quote for you? Yeah. This is a quote from the book that I think summarizes what she's dealing with really well. She says, and that's exactly what I wanted. My emotions passing like headlight, passing like headlights that shine softly through a window, sweep past me, illuminate something vaguely familiar, then fade away and leave me in the dark again. 
beautiful. <laughs> it was beautiful. But I think that I think that we all empathize with that. Like I feel too much. I'm too sensitive. I can't handle it. And the desire to just like cocoon yourself away from the world and think that that can fix it all. I get why it's appealing. No, I totally get that. And I, I can, I can empathize with her feeling yeah, depressed and overwhelmed and like, it's just too much. And she just wants the feelings to come by and she wants to do that thing that everyone, you know, she wants to see and acknowledge them, but not feel them. And I do get that. I understand why you like Otessa, right? Like I get the liking Otessa, but what about this book specifically? Did you love, like, I know all these little points, but did it, what did it do for you? I guess if that's the question. And then also who do you think you would recommend this book to? Because like you said, previous Otessa books, you're like, they're not all for everybody. So I just kind of want to get your thought on that. The question about meaning and sort of like existential crises, that's really why I like this book. I feel very existential and crisis-y a lot. (laughs) And that's, I think, our generation, too. So this book is set in the early 2000s, and that was, like, a really hopeful time, a really, like, energetic time, things that seemed, like, really to be going really well. And now I think our generation, not having as much attachment to religion, not having as much attachment to each other, looking really critically at systems and structures and our parents and our upbringing and, like, it's a lot and we're dealing with a lot and the idea that like maybe none of it matters we're all on a floating rock like that's really heavy and we need a story we need a purpose we need a path to go on but a lot of the paths that we were told would bring us purpose are not bringing us purpose they're not even bringing us financial security they're not giving us anything that we were told it would And we're saddled with all this student loan debt. We're saddled with all this depression. And then we just sit on social media and look at everybody else's beautiful life and look at our own image of our projected beautiful life and feel at the end of the day still like it's all essentially meaningless. And that I also think the pursuit of aesthetic beauty that she's dealing with in the art world. The contrast. Just I loved it. Yeah. Okay. So you feel that versus how she feels. Right. I love that part too. So you feel like it's, it's somebody like this book for you is like somebody who like is kind of hearing something you're going through or that you're able to kind of relate to part of it. And that's to you kind of the draw of it. Yeah. And it's also separate enough. So I've like joked about how much I love sleeping, which I do, but I'm more someone who studied, who struggles with anxiety. Um, I'll have like, you know, if I have a really tough high anxiety week, I'll have sort of like a day where I don't really want to get out of bed and I'm in therapy and I'm medicated and it's all fine. But so I think for me, this is like close enough to the things I deal with, but still like at an arm's length. Like I can understand if you're a person who really like struggles with getting out of bed and brushing your teeth, like this is not, I would not recommend this book for you. And I do think this is, this is for people who love a character study. So this is like very deep into one person's mind. And I also think it's more of a book for someone who's going to read quickly. Like you were saying, I don't think that this is a book you want to draw out. You don't want to read it over two months. You want to like get in and get out because it's really kind of a dark place to go to. You want to go in, get the lesson and like snap your hand back pretty quickly. You know, actually like now that I'm thinking about it again, as I reflect on this book, I like it more. I think if I might have gone in, you know, when you see a movie that somebody really hypes up and they're like this in whatever way, like when somebody hypes up something and you go into it with these expectations and then it's worse because you didn't just go into it. I feel like 
I went into this and you were like, I loved it. I love her. It's darkly funny and it's super fucked up. And I was like, okay, well, that sounds like I'm going to hate it. <laughs> I think if I would have been like, this is a character setting to the head of somebody who's struggling with depression and also figuring out her meaning in the world and you get to be inside of her head while she's kind of going through that as messy and disgusting as that might be. I think I would have like, if that's something that's interesting to you, I think you could still enjoy, you could enjoy this book. And so, cause I think that's what I did enjoy about it. I don't know if that makes sense. I think when I was expecting, like when you're like, I loved it and all these, these like things about it, I was like, Oh, I'm not feeling like how I feel when I love something, but I really appreciate the story and being inside her brain. Because I think what I like to get out of books is something that like inspires me or makes me hopeful or allows me to escape or a lot of times that's what I'm looking for or like a lesson, right? And there is a lesson here. But I think that we read obviously for different reasons and in different ways. Everybody does. And so I think if I think about it like a character study into someone's head who's struggling with depression, I think it's very interesting. Yeah, I agree. I also think it's a book that ages well in your mind because you get the me- you get the message and you can forget the details and forget like her obsession with Whoopi Goldberg like that. Kind <laughs> Will of I stuff, forget like, that though? I wrote that back. down. <laughs> I also just I the bodily functions. I'm like, can we just can we just not? I know that you mentioned the insane psychiatrist. I just want to touch on it really quickly. Like this psychiatrist. First of all, this part was funny in the kind of funny where I'm just like jaw drops like what is this person doing and how do you have a license here's the shit out of me that someone like you could have a license but also like I think the that entire relationship was obviously problematic and absurd um and also the sheer amount of pharmaceutical drugs that this chick attempts to and does acquire and use I let's start there thoughts and feels and then I'll move on to my next point of it a yellow book psychiatrist just cra- she cracked me. I thought like it it brought a lot of levity to the plot, even though this woman was completely enabling her worst impulses and prescribing her. I think she says enough medication to sedate her and half of Manhattan. Yeah, just the picture of her walking into the therapist's office, and the therapist brace. has like a neck brace and a cat. <laughs> And then, like, she can't remember that her parents have died, and she, I think the the main character tells her a story about her mom drinking and mixing, like, mixing yeah. with drugs yeah. and how bad of a reaction she has. And she goes, mm, those people give nootropics or yeah. psychotropics a bad psychotropics name. A bad name. <laughs> I was like, mm, yikes. Anyways, here's your prescription for, like, a lethal Russian thing that's going to knock you out for six days. Otessa is also provocative, but she's not reckless. So the really extreme drugs in the book are not real. I yeah. think that was intentional to be like, don't try and do these. <laughs> I didn't know that. So that's good to know. Nor did I look them up to find out if they were. I mean, obviously I knew Ambien, but like oh, the other ones I didn't know. So, I mean, obviously you can abuse any of them. But yeah, I, I just, did you think the middle... I feel like I also could have enjoyed this book more if the middle wasn't so long and annoying. I feel like on some like meta level, maybe she's trying to be like, look how long and annoying and boring this year was for me. But like, I don't, why? I don't want to do that. And I felt like it was just a long list of her drugs and her routine of drinking two coffees, which I just know. And then sleeping. I just love thinking about the people 
the men who work at the deli who the just Egyptian see men. her <laughs> in these various states of consciousness and like very disheveled and just like always buying a coffee. It just cracks me up. I cannot. That would be a funny character to be in the head of. Yeah. Just a New York deli worker who's just like this person again. <laughs> I would love a book on a character study of somebody who runs a local bodega and all of their regulars. I think that would be hilarious. Why has nobody done that? Someone probably has. I should find it. Let's, on the topic of the middle plot and the end, yeah. move towards our spoiled section. And if you are not joining us for the spoiled section of this discussion, our next book is Honor by Tritty Omergar. And we are going to start reading that next Sunday. So get your copy of that book if you want to join our book club. We'd love to have you. We'd love to have you. <laughs> I promise our next book is not a deep, dark character study, but maybe. Maybe. <laughs> we haven't read it. We don't know. <laughs> so don't make promises we might not be able to keep. But I will say there's it's definitely a more plot-forward book than it is a character study. So maybe we'll get a little bit of both. Okay, I'm so ready to talk about the plot. Okay, then by all means, go ahead. I love that she gives us a timeline, so we do have to get through a year. But the middle plot, the middle portion of the plot is basically her trying and failing to succeed at this. She's not getting the amount of sleep she wants. She's still spending time waking up. She's finding out that she's like going on missions and like doing things outside and shopping at a certain point. And you're like, oh boy, okay, things are really going off the rails now. And she's like upping her dosage and it's not working. So I think the middle part is just like the rising tension of like she's not able to fulfill what she wants and she's getting increasingly reckless with the amount of drugs that she's taking. Then she comes up with the true, the truest, most harebrained plot of all, which is to turn her search for meaning into a piece of art. She was driving me crazy in this middle section. But then at the end, when she's like, let me turn this into a piece of art. Let me give this guy the keys to my apartment and we'll make a pack. Like, I'll write him a note on a post-it of what I need and he'll keep me safe and locked in here and I can go to sleep. At that point, I was like, okay, I get it. Now I know that she's doing this in a, I would say semi-controlled, but still harebrained way. And it's for some sort of larger piece and journey that could maybe help her find meaning, help others find meaning. I was like, okay, I'm interested in this story. So to me, I feel like the middle part could have been a little bit quicker and I still could have gotten the meaning out of this book. It felt just a little bit too long for me, but I'm here for this ending, this art piece, the insane things she does, the lock on the outside of the door. Oh, We also learn a lot more about her parents and why she is the way that she is and how her father was an academic a professor, if I remember that correctly. And her mom was sort of like a drunk who stayed home and maybe socialized a little bit and kept the house, who treated her terribly and treated her emotions terribly and really instilled all of these bad behaviors in her. So we learn a lot more about why she is the way she is. So she's an orphan. She's got an inheritance from her parents. That's how she could buy this apartment. And she's like living off of that money. And... She had a mom who basically, like, 
acted, both of her parents acted like feelings were annoying and they should not be brought to their attention. It was not their problem, their daughter's emotions. And then you start to kind of empathize with her more about why she has such a hard time accessing that. I feel like in this last section, in these, maybe even the last 20% of this book, I empathize with her and what she had been through. I understood kind of where she had come from. I loved the, I thought it was darkly funny. I think it's just, so it's funny, like my rating of the book changed throughout it, but by the end, I did feel all the things I think people are feeling about this main character if they liked this book. But for the first two thirds, I didn't. And so I don't know what, what you rate a book that does that. I don't I mean, it's interesting. On the topic of her mom, her mom tells her she has a section about her mom where she says, I remembered watching her put her face on, as she called it, and wondering if one day I'd be like her, a beautiful fish in a man-made pool, circling and circling, surviving the tedium only because my memory can contain what is imprinted on the last few minutes of my life, constantly forgetting my thoughts. And that is her role model. Yeah. I wrote that part down as well. And I was like, oh, there's, there's just so many little pieces to this. There's the attention span of people in the age of technology today. There's this putting a face on in this man-made and man-dominated still world and just circling and circling and not thinking really too hard about anything, which is obviously kind of the goal of what she's trying to do for this year so that she can be reborn into somebody who maybe can think a little bit more critically than she is trying to for this year of sleep. I should also say, I think she's sort of right in that, like, a lot does get sorted out when you go to sleep. Like, there is, like, processing of your memories, and you feel better about whatever happened the day before when you get a good night of sleep. The best uh, horrible plans are always have, like, a, a there is a little bit of a truth there. It could work, you know? It could work. Speaking I mean, of. 100%. I feel like there is something to be said for... If you were actually, I mean, for sleeping, I remember growing up, I don't know, I'm just going to stop telling embarrassing stories about my mom in this podcast, but one more for today. I remember growing up and getting in trouble and being like, you just need a good night of sleep, Sue. We'd all say it to her because she'd wake up in the morning and just be like, yeah, I actually don't care. It's fine. Like whatever it was we got in trouble for. (laughs) So I totally agree. I think sleep can be really restorative. I just, this idea of sleeping per year is crazy but I like the exaggeration on a a pretty normal idea of just sleeping it off or you'll feel better in the morning you'll see it in a new light I get it the other thing that's building and becomes more clear towards the middle and end of this book is that we're careening towards 9-11 in New York City so you know I didn't get that until the very end I was like Oh, because Reva, Reva talks about her new office, which is in the World Trade Center. But, like, I feel like in that part, I no, I get it. Going back to it, I was like, oh, shit, Reva's in the World Trade Like, I got it at the end. But I didn't think about it throughout the story because I was very engrossed in the story and I wasn't thinking about the timeline at that point when that happened. I was just like, you know, I don't know. But then when, the, when 9-11, we are creating towards it. When I figured that out, I was like, oh, no. Reva! Yeah. You know I can't just, like, sit back and enjoy a book I have to like try and solve the puzzle as I go yeah that's where we're different but yeah agreed you can't but I like (laughs) that Otessa is also a person who like gives you the pieces and has the reveal in a really satisfying way so you there are pieces there so you know the date you sort of know what's happening you can hear like there's little clips of like what she hears on the radio and what she sees in the newspaper so it's like building this sense of time to obviously the date that we all know. And then basically as soon as Reva said where her office was, it was like, oh, 
okay, well, I know what's going to happen now, but then it happens. It's like, she's really good at revealing the twist and that, but also leading you to it that you could figure it out on your own, which I find extremely satisfying. You don't end and think like, oh my God, I never saw that coming. What did you think about, I know that you usually love an open ending book. I felt like this was pretty closed ending as far as kind of finishing up some of our plot points here and understanding what happens at the end of her year of rest and relaxation. What did you think about it? So the ending, the ending essentially leads us to believe that it kind of worked. So Ping has a really successful art opening that she, that features the artwork that she's in. Then 9-11 happens as she emerges from her slumber, but she does feel anew. She feels like it worked and she feels like she has a new outlook on life and that she can maybe do it, can maybe leave her apartment and maybe engage with people again. And she's also starting to wonder about the minds of other people. So she's like, I wonder what makes artists do what they do. And I wonder how people come up with the things that they do. So she's starting to like get out of this really insular shell that she's been in. So you liked that ending. Again, I'm not sure that I, how I felt about the journey of it, but once we got to a satisfying ending, I think that I could look back and appreciate the journey. And I think if it wouldn't have ended that way or if it wouldn't have been a close ending, I wouldn't have liked the book as much as I did in retrospect. I just can't get over that I hated reading it for the first two thirds. And now I'm like, did I love this book? Like, <laughs> what is happening it. to me? I don't know. I'm persuading you. But okay. And I know we say this a lot but I feel like this is part of why we love this podcast and why we wanted to do this podcast is that when you talk about a book especially a well-written book there's so much to appreciate that it becomes better the more you talk about it I do feel like that's happening in real time and it is crazy because even the privilege part like when I was telling somebody about this book when I first started reading it I I just can't get over that. I texted Erica and I was like, why do you like this? And she said, quote, Katie, I'm going to kill you. Just read the book. I was like, okay, fine. But I was telling someone about it. And I'm like, yeah, I'm reading this dumb book because Erica's making me about this girl who's ultra privileged and pretty and white and rich. And she just sleeps for a year with the aid of drugs. And they're like, that sounds awful. And I was like, I know. (laughs) But now even the privilege plot, I'm like, I feel like has a different meaning to me because it's, yeah, it's not about her being privileged in the wake of all of this tragedy that we're currently surrounded by. It's not really being toned up. It's like, it doesn't matter how privileged you are when you're going through something like this, especially a mental health struggle. It just, it does, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much money you have. You don't get to escape the struggles. She also has a really symbolic moment of like, just sell the house, just get rid of her parents' house, which I think represents like I'm ready to let go of this I'm ready to move on she also tells Riva that she loves her so she's able to like connect with Riva again maybe she could start being nice to her well except that Riva dies okay well that's true oops (laughs) (laughs) maybe she can be nice to her next friend the last one of the last scenes is her at the Met and she's looking at a beautiful piece of artwork and thinking about the meaning of art where she hadn't felt that desire earlier or maybe she was just staring at meaningless art and she's so moved by this piece of art that she's like keeps leaning closer and closer and like puts her hand on it. I think it's just like a beautiful scene to end on and then to have 
the next page be like her reaction to to 9-11 and and I don't know I thought it was actually hopeful but I will say I don't want to take the hopefulness away from you but I think we have reason to believe that maybe this uh maybe it's not gonna go well yeah but I think it's open enough that you could pick that it's like it ends at a choose your own adventure and I like that you can choose that maybe you're like, yeah, she's not going to do well. She's, you know, because it's still her. Or you can be like, maybe sometimes people really do work through their trauma in different ways and come out of it being okay. But you get to pick. And that's the beauty of that. Exactly. That's why I like a semi-open ending. I think it's not clear where our narrator will, narrator will go from here and how she's going to deal with what's coming, which we know because we've lived it. And still you can hope for her and cheer her on and you can also think that she's really not grown in a meaningful way and that's like your own way of interpreting the end which is also fun love it this is on page 286 the notion of my future suddenly snapped into focus it didn't exist yet i was making it standing there breathing fixing the air around my body with stillness trying to capture something a thought i guess as though such a thing were possible, as though I believed in the delusion described in these paintings, that time could be contained and held captive. I didn't know what was true, so I did not step back. Instead, I put my hand out. I touched the frame of the painting, and then I placed my whole palm on the dry, rumbling surface of the canvas, simply to prove to myself that there was no God stalking my soul. Time was not immemorial. Things were just things. <laughs> yeah, so she may or may not be okay, but that's good. <laughs> Oh, no, I think that's a good no, I think, I think that's nice. a good feeling to have. It's yeah. like, okay, there is no plan, maybe. Okay, no, we don't have to believe this. Maybe there is no plan. Maybe there is no sure thing that's going to happen. Maybe there is nobody to give my life meaning, and I have to create it. I have to make a choice. I can create the future that I want, and that's like an empowering thought. It was empowering. It was an empowering moment for her, for sure. I truly feel like this was like this discussion actually did for me what we do the pod for. So that's exciting. Oh, yay. Well, uh, I hope you'll join us for Honor and I hope you'll read Otessa's other books, although this one is my favorite and she has a new book coming out this favorite. summer. So, <laughs> yeah. She has a new book coming out this summer, so I'm excited to read that. Yay. <laughs> Anyways, talk, talk, <laughs> talk, talk. Okay. I'm reading a great book that I'm excited to tell you about. This book was written in July, 2019. It's called stay and fight by Madeline Fitch. And I just found this book randomly on TikTok. It was in a TikTok where people are like, what's a book you wish you could read and hear the story of again, or like what you could read for the first time again, something like that. And I am obsessed with it. There's a lot going on and it's dramatic and funny and also sad. Um, it's a following a girl who she grows up in Washington state. She moves to Appalachia somewhere in like Ohio, Kentucky. We don't know exactly where she's at in this small town. Um, and she ends up staying there for years. I think about a decade halfway through the book of her staying there and figuring out what it means to kind of live off the land. She starts living in a camper and then she starts to build a life with some people and build a family almost. And it really is trying to like kind of explore, I think what it means to be a family and what it means to raise kids well, or be a family well in a super materialistic world. This family is basically living fully off the grid. They don't have running water. Um, and 
at some point, you know, you're kind of figuring out, will they be able to survive like that? Will they be able to actually live in a, cause they're, it's present day, right? They're in today's society, but they are living outside of it. And so it's getting to kind of see how that works out for them. I don't know if I just made that confusing or not, but it's kind of about their, yeah, their independence and their building of a life and a family and what we as a society define as a meaningful or acceptable life and family. And they're kind of reckoning with that. It also gives me kind of educated vibes mixed with where the crawdads sing. I've literally never heard of this book. I know. I have literally never heard of this book either. And I like it when I find like randomly a book I'd never heard of. But I really enjoy these stories of families trying to figure out like, can we go against what society tells us is acceptable and is right? And what does that even mean? And who even is society? Also, one of the narrators in this book is a a little kid at the towards the end he's seven so you get his narration as he kind of grows up i feel like she does a good job of that and it's funny kids are ridiculous i also want to say that jen is currently reading the push and she's giving me like a play-by-play as she's getting to the last part of it and she is like this (laughs) book is crazy and she'll be like do you think that she did it and i'm like i don't remember what did i think at that point in the story i'm like you have to finish it and then we can talk about it i don't know where you're also at. just listen to the episode jen yeah obviously <sighs> tune into book talk she's going to no i didn't finish it i'm currently reading i'm almost done with stay and fight and then i also started reading on earth we were briefly gorgeous um which i'm enjoying also it is very poetic it's kind of hard for me to like i get it it's very similar to ocean water whatever that book was called open water ocean water Open water. Open water. Um, in that it's poetic and beautiful, but it's a letter to his mom. So the plot isn't like a lot of things are happening and also nothing is happening. What did you read? I finished Girlhood by Melissa Feebos, I think is how you say her name. I It's a book of essays. I'm not a big fan of a book of essays, which is not my favorite. I feel like some essays are always better than other essays. You know, I'm a big with the continuity. So not my favorite format, but her stories are so good. She lived a crazy, so they're all her stories? kind of life. Mm-hmm. So it's her stories, but also mixed in with comments on what's happening in the world, comments on gender and girlhood and a lot of trigger warnings for essay and things like that but good because it's a big part of ourselves so she's like learning consent and learning how to speak up for herself and the ways that she doesn't speak up for herself she's also in recovery so she talks about battling drug addiction I liked it I thought it was very thought-provoking I will definitely want to go back to it so it was a library book but I think I'm going to buy it because she said so many great things that I want to circle back to I'm also reading No Such Thing as an Easy Job, which is a book set in Japan where the FBI-ish of Japan is surveying this novelist because he's hold- he has some like, um, what's it called when it's like, oh, he has some contraband and they're waiting for his associate to come pick up the contraband. But essentially what happens is this poor narrator has to sit there and watch him all day long as he struggles to write a book but also while he's like eating and drinking and shitting and like just in his house he just has to keep tabs on him this whole time so it's very it's supposed to be this easy job that you can do and the main character had 
burnt out from their career, is living with their parents. I think it's a guy, but I'm not totally sure. And so this was supposed to be the easy job where you just sit there and they're actually watching him on two different screens, two different feeds and trying to see if anything interesting happens. Um, so we'll see. It's a really, that's a great setup, but I don't know where it's going because I can't, much like the narrator, I cannot just sit here and watch this man all day long and hear about the things he's cooking. Like it's just, he's a very boring person. He's, he just sits there in front of his laptop, which same. (laughs) So then today, one last book today, I went to the Upper West Side for brunch, realized I didn't have a book for the subway home. Uh-oh. Can't do that. Can't do that. I can't sit so with my thoughts. For an hour, for 45 minutes? Nope. No, absolutely not. I need my thoughts to be like headlights, briefly illuminating things in my life and then vanishing quickly. <laughs> I bought Pure Color by Sheila Hetty. This is oh, weird. So she calls it a contemporary Bible. And it basically begins with, like, God tried, he sat back and watched this first version of creation, and then he said, I can do it better. And so he starts again. And that's, like, the beginning of the book, and you're like, what the fuck? And then we're just following our main character, who seems to be living in, like, a normal version of England. It's, like, weird, so interesting, but so deep already. One of the best opening pages of a book I've ever read. Okay. And I really like it so far. I think this is definitely like very intellect. This is like supremely intellectual. Like it's, it's, it's a little pretentious. Well, you love it. We'll see. Okay. I'm going to love it. I can tell you right now. I can tell too. I also wanted to say I had to, I was like, why didn't I read more of that book this week? But I also joined a book club at work. Um, Our diversity and inclusion department T they started a book club and they're going to do it throughout the whole year. And so I joined it and then I forgot, you know, because I've got a lot of books happening in my life. And the night before I was talking to them because they read Verity and I was like, tell me if you love it or you hate it. So a whole conversation about it. And they're like, I come to the book club tomorrow. And I was like, yeah, shit. So I was like, I gotta read these books. Um, and it was, we're reading Beyond Survival, which is a book of essays, which is what made me think of that about transformative justice. Um, and then we had a whole book club about it and there was like 60 people It was kind of crazy who came to this like zoom book club and people were like super talkative and it was really cool. It was cool at work. I feel like there are people of all levels. There were like people who are high up and people who are like frontline staff, everyone kind of debating it and how we can actually, the thing that was cool about all three of the essays we read this week is there are actual strategies on like implementing transformative justice, not just as a hypothetical, but they were different people's point of views on like what they had seen work. So it was cool. Okay. Loved this. Bye. Love you. Love you. Bye. Bye. Book Talk is made by me, Erica Bailey, and Katie Cheney, with production support from Dan White. Our theme music is by Dan White. We'll see you next week. I didn't sing the announcement song, so I should get like some credit. Oh, well, I, we didn't have announcements. You did so. the announcements without asking me, so that you can avoid the announcement song. Oh, honor. <laughs> That's right. Like I just won't say the word announcements, and she won't sing to me.